This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. <laughs> Today we're talking about prosperity, right? And the title is What Should Be Your Ambition? What Should Be Your Ambition? Now, let me make a confession to you. You know, so that you guys can understand that we are also real human beings. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know what? Don't cut the initial part. Just leave it. Yeah? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hallelujah. If you want to be able to see the will of God for your life, if you want to understand the will of God properly for your life, right? You have to be able to make sure that there are certain patterns especially mental patterns. As I said, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are certain, certain mental patterns in this world that you have to break free from. There are certain ways that the world thinks that you have to break free from so that you don't think the way the world thinks. That is the way that you'll be able to change yourself more and more and then you'll be able to get to the point where you can see the purpose of God or the will of God for your life and be able to tell that this is the will of God for your life. You can never test and approve. You can never be able to tell, see that something is the will of God if your thinking pattern is, al- is aligned with that of the world. Because the world and the things of this flesh are at odds with God. Do you understand that? That's why you can be talking to someone and you guys don't even have a common ground. And the person doesn't even understand what you are saying. The person doesn't even understand what you are saying. Because your thinking pattern is different. You're talking with someone that is a, for example, a Christian universalist that believes that all of scripture is basically allegorical. And you read the entire scriptures from an allegorical point of view and never in a, you know, you know real perspective, you know, never in a direct sense. So everything in the scriptures is allegorical. So all the, both apocryphal books and books that we call canon and all that, as far as they are concerned, they are all the same thing. In fact, all the books of Persephone and Greek philosophers basically are all the same thing because all of them are still ways that God speaks to us. And you're talking to this person about scripture. You are talking from the place where scripture is the greatest tradition and we must band ourselves by scripture and all that. And the person is talking from the perspective that your scripture is basically a sophisticated. Do you understand? And you're arguing about scripture with such a person. We will never agree. The person can never because the very pattern by which they are thinking is different from yours. It's very different. So if you want to know the will of God on stuff, you cannot have the same pattern that the world is, has or mental pattern that the world has and expect that you'll be able to prove and see what the will of God is. <laughs> I get what I'm saying to you. <laughs> One of the issues with this whole prosperity thing that is an issue is the fact that when we are even looking at the scriptures to see what the will of God about money 
and stuff is. Hmm? The problem is that many times we are coming to scriptures with our own definitions already in our mind. We are coming with our own hierarchy of values. And then we are trying to look at scripture to see what it says about our hierarchy of values. But it doesn't work. What I mean specifically is this. If you are coming to the scriptures already assuming, hmm? try all together. If you come to the scriptures already assuming that having plenty money is a good thing, you know, you've already assumed that it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but follow. If you already assume, if your mind already, already believes that having money is a good thing and it is the standard by which we should live our lives, your mind has already assumed that that is that's what you believe. Hmm? When you are going into the scriptures and you are looking at it, hmm? when you are talking about, when you see what is good, you are likely to think of it in that sense. Do you understand that? And this is the reason why you see certain things. Look at Luke chapter 16. Look at Luke chapter 16. Verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve good God and money. Now, Jesus you know, makes it clear that, see, one of the things that can make you and God to fight is money. Because money is that one thing that is to drag for space in our hearts with God. <laughs> but look at something interesting that he says after verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were yimuing at Jesus. Literally, sneering at him. Jesus said, you cannot love God and love money. You have to choose one. And the Pharisees, who are the custodians of the law, who are the so-called righteous men of the society, the men who are pointing people on how to save God, they were sneering at him. Literally, they were like, literally. Literally. You see something now. And that is why you will notice that when Pastor Sam brings up this matter of prosperity, even, you know, they will be like, this guy has come again. There is a reason why. There is a value system in the world that has assumed that money equals good. They cannot understand when you see the life of a man is not in the abundance of the things that he owns. They will stand, you, some of them are ministers, honest people that people are following that love God. Honest people, they will sneer at you. Look at it. That says, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. 
So if you come from a value system where you value certain things highly, when someone comes to tell you that that thing that you value highly ought not to be like that, that is the reason why you just tell people some things. And the next response you will hear from them is that, are you saying God wants us to be poor? Do you understand that? <laughs> That's the next thing that comes to your mind. That's the next thing that comes. You say some things, people will start sneering at you. That is the reason why. You know, because even people that can be affected, even people that love God can be affected like this. When your mind has patterned itself by the standard of the world, right? It will be wrong. That's why there's something that you should, you should understand. If for some reason, both God's word and the world agree on what the definition of prosperity is, there's a problem. This should be your clue. If the world and the scriptures agree on the definition of prosperity, you know there's a problem. Either the world is no more the world because it's now saved, or that scripture that is defining it for you is telling you lies. You don't understand what you're saying. Do you hear what I just said now? If all of a sudden, the world's definition of prosperity and that of the scriptures align and they agree, you know that there's already a problem. So if the world says we, it is good to be rich, the essence of life is to be rich, and the person comes and says the will of God is for you to be rich, you know there's a problem. How, what are the odds that Badosne and Jesus agree? Someone is singing, um, ah, God, that song came in my mind. I only speak, I don't have to speak for my mind. You guys know the song, Navi? You just laugh at me like, you know the song. Sing the song for me very well. Why are money, money, King Shati Lowo, King Shati Lowo? This life is just for me to make money. And then, you two are reading your Bible, and what you are saying is, God just wants us to make it's a why I say ni fun jesu kinshati lowo ni nu bible kinshati lowo you know there's a problem <laughs> you know there's a problem and so it gets the certain point especially when you're social media that you can you can read the room you can read the room there's some things that you can read the room there's some kind of things that you put out that you already know you can't people that like it Ready? No. You see some people that won't look because we've been down that path before. We've had the arguments before and they don't have energy for the arguments. So they'll just unlook. One or two will still sob you. They'll wait like 12 hours. Now say, you people are anti-prosperity. I want no ambassador. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can read the room and you can tell certain things. Listen to me. I'll explain something to you today. You will understand. And it will be easy for you to also teach people. And I promise you, if you accept it, it will liberate you and it will free you. Every bondage in your heart, because this thing is like a disease, 
Once it has corrupted your heart, it will affect every other thing about you. Every other thing about you to affect you, to affect your relationships, it will affect the way you serve God, it will affect a lot of things. If you understand what I'm going to tell you this morning, hmm? it will give you peace, it will give you deliverance. You will be fine. Another thing I have to do for you is that you will not have to go through the ups and downs and vicissitudes of cultural changes. Because another component of this issue is the cultural changes of correction and overcorrection. There was a time when honestly, especially those of the orthodox background, the orthodox background being those who inherited the tendency for ascetism, right? Praise God. That's what we're doing. Come on, come on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hallelujah. So, the people of the Orthodox background, being those who inherited the tendency for ascetism, and that the ones that have priests who are celibate and all those kinds of things, in their culture, they can say things like, um, um, you know, um, poverty, um, being rich is a bad thing. And the truth is that if you read the way Jesus speaks strongly against money in some context, hmm, you almost think that money is a bad thing. If you read the way Apostle Paul talks about the rich, if you see the way James talks about rich people, if you know, if you are from a culture that actually believes in the Bible, that honors it, it's not called, you're not using um, Pentecostalism, you know, all those kind of things to be deceiving yourself, right? You, are, you actually honor God's word. If you put some scriptures together, you put some scriptures, you line them up together, you read Paul talking about, in 1 Timothy chapter 16, talking about how the love of money is the root of all evil and telling rich people that they should not be proud though, that even heaven is not sure for them. And then you now read James. James will now be saying things like, all of you that are always forming, uh, you are rich in the church. Let me tell you, your money and you, all of you perish together. And all those kinds of things. You know there's a tendency for you to say, ah. Then you now read uh, Psalm, uh, what do you call it? Proverbs 31, where someone says that, ah, please don't let me become rich so that I will not forget you. In that kind of orthodox cultural concept, you will not say, ah, it's not good to be rich because money is a deceiver that will make you not to go to heaven. So there was a time when the Nigerian Christian church actually came from that context of saying that Christians should not be rich, that you are meant to be poor. I got what I'm saying to you. Yeah. Hmm. That Christians should not be rich, that they are meant to be poor. And so, if you are living any extravagant life, they will say you are not really saved. In fact, it even affected Christians generally. Once you start living extravagant life, they will say you are, you are backsliding. Once you start buying things, they'll say you're backsliding. The church actually believed that. And then, some guys went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then God used the man to make them understand that God did not say Christians have to be poor. Right? You can actually do well. But what they hate is that Jesus said you must be rich. And that if you are not rich, you are not, Jesus, you are not seeing what Jesus died for. You see that? So we went from as poor as church rats to as boldly as church pastor. <laughs> so we went from Christians are not meant to be poor to Jesus died so that you can be rich. When you understand the correct thing, you all... <laughs> Whether you were born in the, you got saved in the 1960s and 70s Christianity, 
or you got saved after the 80s when people were going to Tosa Kuma, your stand will be the same. Do you understand that? Psalm chapter 1. Do you know what very funny thing I, I've noticed about this issue is that when Christians are honest, instinctively, you know, there's a walking of the spirit inside of us, a witness. That's why if you listen to a man of God who is honest and you know is in the moment of the spirit and everything, you are listening to them on money matters. Instinctively, they will say some of the things I'm about to say now. Instinctively, they will find themselves seeing these things. The problem is that. When they come out of that pure Christian intuition and come back into the obtainable status quo of our culture. And so that's why you'll see very funny things I saw. So I always tell you guys, my wife and I do this thing. God just help me, right? You'll be in a service and a man is, a minister is speaking and you can tell this man is inspired and in his preaching, He's saying things that are against materialism. And he's saying things like the will of God for you is not to be this. This is the will of God. It's not about money, credit, or And by before the end of the message, you will enter back into preaching things that imply that it's about money. 20.05 minutes. You say this. 40.42 minutes. You are now saying this. I've seen it so many times. So many times. It's not about this. It's not about having platforms about this. It's about doing the purpose of God for your life. You know, see? That's why if you are saved, he became poor so that you might be rich. <laughs> you know, you understand? That's why. I don't intuitively, in terms of the Christian intuition, all of us agree on this. And what is it that we all agree on? Look at it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree, Planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. What is in the prospering? Let's go back to the beginning of verse 3. He said the person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruits in season. Its fruits in season. His leaf does not wither. And so we can say that whatever he does is what? Prosper. Whatever he does prosper is a commentary on the nature of that we are seeing in the tree. So we say a man is prospering in all that he does when he's bearing his own fruit in what season? What I want to do this morning is to teach you the biblical definition of prosperity. 
so that you can know that you and the world don't have the same definition of the word. What it means to prosper is to bear your own fruits in your season. Prosperity is that God has created you for something. And that thing he created you for, you are doing it and doing it well. Do you understand that? God created you for something. And that thing you are doing, you are doing it and you are doing it well. It means you are prospering. It means you are prospering. Whatever God created you to do, you are doing it and you are doing it well. So, God's will for anybody is not for you to be rich or to be poor. God's will is not for anybody to be rich or to be poor. God's will for you is to do his plan for your life. The amount of money you will make while doing that plan for your life will be different depending on your person, depending on your context. Hallelujah. Depending on your person, depending on your local context, the amount of money you will make in the process of doing the will of God for you will be different. And so that's not the point. The point is that the will of God for you is to do his purpose for your life. You understand what I just said to you now? While you are doing the will of God for you, you will make different amounts of money depending on who you are and depending on your context. I say the will of God is for us to be rich. The will of God is for you to be rich. When, if you are born a Kuwaiti citizen, half of their currency is equal to like $5. Half. They don't even use one. You know what? We have one naira fifty couple. Them, they even, the, the currency is so strong that they don't use one. They use half. I'm going to check. If you are born in that country, just by being a citizen, the check that the government is giving you every month for being a citizen will make you to be living in Lekki in Nigeria. You now say God wants you to be rich. Now, how do you calculate it? Is it Nigeria rich or Kuwaiti rich? Or Sudani rich? Or Niger rich? Or Benin rich? Which one? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? God's purpose for you is to do his will for you. As we are doing that will for you, we will make different kinds. So that is the reason why when you understand what God wants you to do, hmm, by the time you really understand and it has entered your heart, not just that you know in your head, by the time you really understand that your prosperity is in actually you doing what God wants you to do, the amount of money that you make will be based on also on what God wants you to do. When that you really understand that, you can have a friend that both of you went to UI together, you were roommates together, and the person will entertake and make a company that they will sell for one million dollars. And you, you will continue in education, and I want to be a lecturer and be shaping minds. And for one second, you never look at your friend and feel inferior. Kai, do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
for one second, you will not feel inferior. This is the reason why a man can allow his wife to be everything that the Lord wants her to be. And she will be an accountant and she will be doing well and people will trust her and they will elevate her to become the CFO of, of Goldman Sachs. And he will be a lawyer in one small chambers in Nigeria. And for one day, it will never cause marital problem because he will never feel inferior. For one day, it will never happen. This is the secret. This is the reason why the life of a man cannot be in the amount of their possessions. It's because God has a plan for each and every one of us. And doing God's plan for you is what matters. So it's not God wants me, God wants all of us to be rich. He became poor so that we can become poor. What are you talking about? So all the people in Sudan, they will never enter the purpose of God for their life. What it means is that everybody from undeveloped countries, none of us are seeing the essence of salvation. Because compared to developed countries, we are all poor. I guess what I'm saying to you. What is your ambition? What is your aim? Your ambition is for you to do the will of God for your life. One of the things that have affected me is a sense of guilt. I feel guilty sometimes. You know, especially now, we explain to people that you cannot be allowing the amount of money in your pocket be dictating your mood every time and be dictating your emotions because that's not what your life is about. You can't be letting that happen. And then you have be feeling guilty that, okay, see, because you are now comfortable small, think of those that don't have any money. It's easy for you to see. And then I remember when I was working in one place in Ibadan, and my salary was 50,000. When I asked those I pastored in Ibadan, what I'm seeing now is what I was seeing then, 50,000 as a doctor. I was trying to start a business then, so I was doing the work just to make sure that there's something coming every month. You don't say I'm a useless husband, right? And then I'm doing the, I was doing the business. I'm not joking. I was saying the same things then. My wife and I had, let's just say it so that it can be an example for them. My wife and I had so a debate sometime, some, some, is it probably last year or so. You know, let's, let's say it. It's old that like two years ago. Interesting debate. Just so saying something about. Ah, we want our daughters to do well. I want them to have international recognition. They should not be. Let me, I don't want to misquote you. So that you know that they can have international um, this thing. They should do something big on the earth. And I said, no. If they want to be school teachers, and that's what God wants them to be, they will do it and do it well. He said, no. He no. <laughs> <laughs> said, no. <laughs> I say, Auntie, if God wants them, you see, what you are saying, is that we have the evil spirit in our church. I say, if they are meant to be primary school teachers, and it is the will of God for them to shape minds, they will do it and they will do it. What she said, wrong. We argue, I see. <laughs> we argue this thing. We're not talking about it recently. We're talking about it recently. My wife said, Ah, you this man, you are truly consistent. 
This thing, if you say this thing for her, she not say, and now she now agrees. See, when you understand what it means, that the creator of the universe gave you an assignment and you're okay with it. That's why Mammon and Jesus are competing for place in your heart. Because the love of money makes you rebellious to God. Are you know what I'm saying? The love of money will make you a rebellious person. God will tell you this is what I want you to do. But because there's no money in it, you'll be fighting. Your mind will just be fighting it. Some countries now, it is in the school that a teacher is coming with a man who wear lipstick and wear long hair and tell them that you can be a boy if you want to be, if you want to be a girl, can you call, can you call? And be showing them pictures and videos of boys and boys having sex and kissing and telling them everything. If someone tells you that, a child of God tells you that God sent me to be training your, your child, you will not be happy. You will not be happy. God says, sends one of you to go and be, save those children from those crazy weirdos. That be telling your children that they, if they want to be, if, I, if they don't want to have any gender, it's their choice. Say you will not be happy if we have a believer's meeting and God sends you, you, one of you to go and be correcting those children. The problem is that culture has hammered it into your mind that if you are not rich, there's something wrong with you. So you cannot picture any of God's leadings in your life if you cannot see the monetary components to it. This thing will deliver you as it delivered me. Peer pressure will never affect you. And the funny thing is that the thing that you're not meant to do for God, all the money that is accruable in that position, you will get it. This is not an advocation for wealth. Neither is it an advocation for poverty. It's an advocacy for you to do the will of God for your life. Not all of us will be billionaires, and that is okay. Not all of us will be the chairman of Zenith Bank. See, if you are someone that truly loves God, the truth is that the impulse that those ascetic Christians had is what you should be tilting towards. If, you, if the love of God is primary on your heart, the impulse that those ascetic Christians had is what you should be tilting towards. Do you know why? You should be afraid of anything that can make you love and forget God. Your impulse should be to run away from things that can make you want to insult God. Guess what? There's nothing that can make someone forget God like money. The truth is that if we are thinking like Christians... Our impulse is to see those among us that have money and be feeling sorry for them. If you understand my message, you that's when you look at the New Testament, you will now begin to understand the slants and the tone of the apostles. You will now understand why James will be saying, you rich people, be careful. Paul will be telling the rich people, be careful. Almost like as if they are admiring poor people. And despise it. That's where that instinct comes from. Because they have seen what wealth does to people. See, deliver yourself of the fear of poverty. It's a, it's a trap. It's a, that's one thing I noticed. That's why some people cannot stand God's word. The fear of poverty. Anything that will just make you feel like as if 
I will not have money. You'll just be having type 3 allergic reaction to it. Something your body will just be fighting against him. Anything that does come to suggest that I, will, I may not, I may, I may not, you don't want to even hear it. It's the fear. And guess what? You know what fear does? It chases you away from God. When you understand the love of God and it is perfected in your heart, it banishes fear. If you understand the love of God, God will take care of you. Even if you don't have money, it will not be like as if you don't have money. Because number one, you won't feel like that. And number two, in your life, you will see the workings of God. It will not feel like that. I guess what I'm saying to you. This fear of not having money, kill it. Kill it. This fear of uh, you don't even want to imagine not having money. Baba, free your mind. It's God now. Free your mind. The God that makes sparrows do not die of hunger, that close the lilies, is on your case, he will now stop. Let your mind be, let me just do the will of God. Let your mind be, let me do the will of God. Oh my God, time has gone. Listen to me. This issue of people not doing God's will for them is what is important on God's mind. It's just that there's no time. Let's do it like this. Open Matthew 3.10. If I open Matthew 3.10. Um, Joanna, open Matthew 7.19. Pastor Shea, open Luke 3.9. Hope you are getting it. Um, Debbie, please open Luke 13.6-9. Kiji, open John 15.2-6. Do we get it? Yeah, let's start from the fine. You'll see something now. Yeah. Matthew 3.10. Yes. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Did you hear that? And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God bless you. He said the axe, is John the Baptist speaking here. He said the axe is already at the root of the tree. Any tree that does not produce good fruits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, read Matthew 7.19. Matthew 7.19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is mm-hmm. cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you hear that? Every tree that does not bear fruitful is what? Cut down and what? Pastor Shea, please, Luke 13, read deep that parable. Luke 3.9. Luke 3.9. And now also, the axe is laid onto the roots of the trees. Do you hear that? Again. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth forth not good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Do you see that again? The axe is ready. God is ready. God is intentional about it. Now, that parable, Luke 13, 6 to 9. Okay. Um, Luke 13, 6 to 9. Then Jesus told the story. Mm-hmm. A man planted a fig tree yes. in his garden mm-hmm. and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. Do you see that? But he was always disappointed. Do you see that? Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years mm-hmm. and there hasn't been a single fig. Mm-hmm. Cut it down. Mm-hmm. It's just taking up space in the garden. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? The gardener answered, Sir, Give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. Do you see that? Then nine. If we get fixed next year, if we get fixed next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Which translation is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good translation for reading stories. But I suspect that for that is might not be good. <laughs> Did you see that story? Now, 
Um, ah, Mark, no, John 15 is. Well, yeah, read John 15, verse 2 to 6. Oh, he cuts off every branch. No, start from verse 1. Did I say verse 2? Start from verse 1. No? I am the true vine, uh-huh. and my father is the gardener. Yeah, see that? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Stop, hold on there. In our, some tradition, is idle, so we still, in theological state, we still see, we still argue whether it is take up or cut down, right? But that's not the point. You see the point now. Let's assume that it is take up, right? That God will help it to prune, just like what we just read now. In the previous parable, he gave it time. So he will take it up and help it and give it fertilizer so that it can do what? Bear fruit. But after that, what happens? Continue. Well, every branch that does bear fruit mm-hmm. prunes mm-hmm. so that it will even be more fruitful. Mm-hmm. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken you to you. You see that? Fertilizer. Continue. Remain Continue. Remain in me mm-hmm. as I also remain in you. Mm-hmm. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You see? It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. All right now. I am the vine, Mm -hmm. you are the branches. Mm -hmm. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Mm -hmm. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. If you do not remain in me, Mm -hmm. you are like a branch that is thrown away Mm -hmm. and withers. Mm -hmm. Such branches are picked up, Mm -hmm. thrown into the fire Mm -hmm. and burned. You hear that? You can see the way in different ways. Different confirmations, all the gospel tests, those that testify what Jesus said, they all agree that Jesus said this thing more than once. That any tree that does not bear fruit, I'm a gay. Then in Mark chapter 11, it now seems like as if Jesus is wicked. He has been warning, he's about to die. He has been warning you for three years that if you see a tree that is meant to be bearing fruit and is not bearing fruit, oh yeah, open Mark, Mark chapter 11. No, this one, let me read myself. Mark chapter 11. <laughs> Verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. When you say a fig tree is in leaf, it means that it is meant to be what? Having fruit. It is time for this thing. He saw the, a fig tree in leaf. He went out to find if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. But understand something the context the context is that when a fig tree is in leaf it means that it's meant to have fruits do you understand that then he said to the tree may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard him what say it and then we'll say ah jesus is love he doesn't act like this do you know what jesus did here he just used the supernatural to do what he has been saying he would do before for normal people his acts you use but jesus does not have energy for acts his word he will use to do it. Jesus did what he has been saying he would do from the word beginning. In case you don't understand, this is the spirit behind him chasing people out of the temple with whip. Because the temple is a place of what? Prayer. It has now turned to a place for what? Buying and what? Selling. If there is anything that is consistent in Jesus' word and deed, is that there is no place for any entity created to produce certain fruits and then not producing that fruit. Jesus was not being wicked to this fig tree. He was being, if Jesus let this fig tree pass, then he has been lying. Do you understand that? Jesus was fulfilling what he had been saying. There is no place for a tree not to bear fruit. This is what is important to God. That's why in Luke chapter 16 that we read earlier, Jesus told the Pharisees, what you guys highly value is detestable to God. If there's anything that will take your focus from bearing fruits, is money. 
Jira just said to you now. There are many times that bearing fruit will be at odds with making money in quotes. That means at those points, you will not, you will choose not to bear fruit. I guess what I'm saying to you. That's why there is a direct proportion between the rise of money as a value system in the church and lack of conviction. There is a direct proportion to each other. Go to any gathering of saints where material things are high in the hierarchy of values. They will not be people of conviction. You understand that? They will not be people of conviction. This is what is important to God. So, how does this thing manifest physically? This thing I just said now, practically. Now, I've, I've taught you the message, right? How does it manifest practically in your things? What does it look like? Let me show you. Thank God for Paul. Apostle Paul, God bless you in heaven. God bless you, Apostle Paul. First Thessalonians chapter 4. God bless you as you're in heaven. This is what it will look like when you understand that in your material things, in your conduct with money and all that, this is what it will look like in your life. See, me, I know that God sends me to reshape values and to reconcile men to God. I understand what it means and I'm ready to do the work. That's why one of the things you guys should notice ahead of time now is that I will not have, the way things are, it's not likely I'll have plenty of pastor friends for now. And me too, I don't want to have plenty of pastor friends because I don't want our relationship to be having issues. Do you understand that? Because me, I don't agree that Jesus died so that we can have money. I don't agree. I do not. So it's better for us to be friends at the back. We'll be visiting each other, but let's not invite each other. You know, let's not have cause problem. I'm ready to die on this hill. Because I'm sure. Because I'm sure. Me, I know that the church will be better and stronger when we push materialism out of our gatherings and our families. I know marriage units will be much stronger when people are no more rating partners by how much money they have. Ladies will not marry men that will beat them to death because they are not thinking of money. Guys will not be under a crippling sense of body that is allowed, that making them neurotic and going crazy because they don't measure themselves and their performance by how much money they have. Children of Satan will not come and be dictating the flow of the church because they are the ones that are giving the most to the church. There are many things, make it often now. There's one I just recently discovered. This one I was three months, three months ago old when I found out. It shocked me too. <laughs> when we read the story of the woman in the temple dropping her last might and the Pharisees dropping plenty of money. And Jesus said, this woman has given more. You know, we used to preach it like as if that's an endorsement of how to give. 
No worry, maybe we'll talk about it, we'll talk about giving. Let me just say something. Why well, read it? Jesus was not endorsing the woman, no. After Jesus said it, you know what he did? He now came out and caused the temple. He said, This temple, this thing I even for a drink. Very soon there will not be one stone on top of you. There will be no one stone on top of each other. Go and read it. <laughs> Jesus was not endorsing a system where you will tell a poor person to give all their money and they don't have food to eat again. He was not endorsing. Go and read it. When we talk about it, we we'll talk about giving. He was not endorsing it all. It was actually a reflection of an oppressive religious society that was taken from the poor and enabling the rich to feel like as if they are better than other people. Any society where the amount of money you have, any religious system or any church system that makes it seem like as if the amount of money you have is a reflection of how God's blessing is in your life. Eh? You and that temple that Jesus prophesied, you're in the same group chat. Did you hear I just said now? We are meant to be given to the poor. Did you hear what the early church did? They gathered the poor and the widows and they were given to them. Today so we say, you are the poor. All the money enters. God will bless you. Why look for all the money, drop it. But that's not what the early church did. And that's not what Jesus taught. The time when you see a church that was extremely poor giving to another church is because the church they were giving to was even poorer than them. The Macedonian church was poor, quite poor, all right, but they still had food to eat. You see the ones in Jerusalem, famine had wiped them out. <laughs> they did not even have food to eat. So even when they didn't have, they said, even the one that we don't have, take. Do you understand that? It's not an endorsement of understand. It's not an endorsement of you telling people that are poor. When the thing that isn't money for is not something that is even essential to anything, you not tell people that are poor to bring what they have to buy speaker. Do you know what I just said now? And guess what? That system can be fueled. Do you know why it can be fueled like that? It can be fueled like that because you have promised, that's why it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have promised that person that the ability for you to drop your widow's might is the reason why you have the promise of becoming rich in the future based on that. All kinds of heresies spring from that system. All kinds of heresies. Including reducing God to bed, Ninja. All kinds of heresies and dysfunction spring from that system. How many times did they even raise the money in the Bible? How many times? How many times? It was in need. What they were even raising money for was literally to save the lives of Christians. You will now be, you will now be making false vocations. He said they were even very poor and they gave. What were they giving to? Some people were in Jerusalem. There was famine and there was something happening in Egypt during the time of Caligula and they were doing their Roman politics. And because of that, Egypt, Nile, that particular year, the Nile, I shouldn't be saying this, I'm just looking out on people. That year, there was famine in Jerusalem. Serious famine that people were dying. Paul said, we cannot allow the Christians in Jerusalem to die of hunger. Everybody, the gospel came to you because of these people. You owe them. Send something to them. Corinthians, every week, gather something, send. Macedonia, everybody, Galatia, everybody sent something to the church. It was literally because people were dying of hunger. 
it is not the same as depriving a family of their children's school fees to buy land. It is not the same. Unless we want to deceive ourselves. It is not the same. Most normal people, you can't sell it to them. That's why atheists tend to feel like they're smarter than us. Because they can see things we cannot see. Not, not because they're smarter than us, right? It's just because their being rebellious gives them a perspective that sometimes being inside the house does not give you. But those are the part of things they see. A normal person will not fall for that kind of system. You need something else to sell it. And the only thing you can sell it is to distort the image of God by telling them that God will collect money to you from you so that he can give you money. How does this thing, how would this thing I've been telling you look practically in your life? First Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 9 to 12. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more. Sit now. Now, this is what your ambition should be. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you should not be dependent on anybody. This is what it will look like. Now let's break it down line by line. Let it be your ambition to lead a quiet life. So this is why Christians lead a quiet life. It means you don't make noise. You don't make noise. So across the different ways that God will put us, some of you might be tech bros, you'll have plenty of money. Some of you might be accountants, your own money will be a few millions. Some of you might be 100,000. It does not matter. It says, lead a quiet life. So that means that there's no amount of billions you have in your pockets. As a Christian, we don't expect you to be, to be making noise about it. You're supposed to lead a quiet life. Actually, as a Christian, because your value system is not based on the amount of money you have, every need and impulse to show off your money should be dead. Your desire to show off the amount of money you have is a sign that you're a materialistic person. Do you understand that? Because we are designed to optimize that which makes us have a sense of value. You are trying to optimize what you feel makes you feel, have a sense of self-worth. So people that show off are actually materialistic. Do you understand that? Someone that shows off the amount of money he has thinks that he's better than those that don't have as much money. Do you understand that? I'm only people in this church. No matter how much money people have, God will bless you because that's just how it is. Nothing I can do about it. Even if I teach you people, teach you people that God even wants you to be poor. If you just had work hard, some of you will still be rich. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't come here. Don't come here and be doing any kind of behavior. We are not doing testimony time. <laughs> yes. If God has done something in your life, tell me. In private, let's be happy for you. We don't want to hear it. Don't come and for me, you are giving testimony and you are trying to use that to oppress us. You lead a quiet life to mind your business. Do you understand that? 
when you're even sharing things that look like what you people call wins in quotes. See, even the nomenclature, even the nomenclature is pushing you into Satan. See, wins, and it's, we say wins because of money. So those that don't have money, they are not winning. You see that? You see, there are many places where culture does not want you to believe in God. When you are sharing material things happening in your life, you put it in a small circle. Let it be your loved ones. Let it be about people that know you. Let them know you are not trying to oppress anybody. Lead a quiet life. Mind your business. It's just recently I discovered that there's the excess of people that want to make it sound like as if God is agnostic about material things. God is not agnostic. Or you can see here now that God is not agnostic. This is what I'm not telling you what it will look like at the different parts wherever you find yourself. This is what you should look like. But, but God is not agnostic on any matter. So there's the excess of people trying to form that God is agnostic. God does not care about your money, your material state at all. God doesn't even send it at all. That's also not true, obviously. You know, and so when people are beginning, you know, when people are saying stuff like that, one of the issues. Lead a quiet life. Mind your business. Let's go on. He says you should mind your business and work with your hands. This is what it also looks like. Wherever you find yourself, wherever God has put you, you will work hard with your hands. You will work hard with your hands. Whatever you have chosen to do, you become very good at it. That nobody will be better at it than you. Nobody will be. That's, that's, there's one denomination, Pentecostal denomination, that is particularly good at this Christian conduct. The name is Deeper Life. You people think you have money because you are making noise. Ask them. <laughs> you think you have money because you are shouting, you are making noise. That's the way it should be. Have the money. Don't make noise. It's when we say, ah, we need to reach out to some people in Puerto Rico. We need to buy something and all that. If you have money, come. Say, no problem. Pastor, come. How much is the money? It's just 1.5 million, but we have like, 1.5 million dollars, but we have like $200,000. Eh? Pastor, you know what? That's $200,000. I, I use it for children's church. Take 1.5. You know. Correct guy. Correct guy. Shake up. Correct guy. No load up. Just say we don't do them. See, ah, waiting to happen. God has helped us to do it. That's all. That's the way it's meant to be. You work with your hands, get very good at what you do. I mean, get really, really good at what you do. If you get really good at what you do, you this thing will be in your life. What will happen is that every point in time you will have a source of income. If you are really good at what you do. Choose something, whatever it is. Get really good at it. You will always have. You will always have. You will always have income. Get really, and that income will, will continue to increase over the years. Get really good at something. So, be quiet. Mind your business. Work with your hands. Get really good. See, just as we told you. Now say it's to that. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So, outsiders cannot be talking to you anyhow. Outsiders cannot be talking to you anyhow. They will just know that these Christians, them did their day. When they are disrespecting people and people are clowning about, it will not reach your side. Another thing is that it even makes them to be afraid. 
when people have gotten to a point where culturally they can't really place you, it's the ones among them that are bankers that can see your account balance that we understand. They will be afraid. These people that don't love this, they don't have the need to buy big cars. They just did their day. They just they go their own level and everything. Ah, these people, be careful of them. People respect you. You have dignity. It is the will of God that you have dignity. This thing that Apostle Paul is describing is not a matter of having plenty of money. Even if you are a young guy just finishing school and you took work as a security guard, without 20, 30K that they are paying you, you do it well. You'll be content with it. You manage the money well. You don't do more than yourself. Eat what you can afford. Wear what you can afford. Live in a place where you can afford. So you don't have to beg anybody. You don't have to steal. The respect that people will have for you, the honor that we will have for you will be more than the honor that they have for people that even have more money. Do you understand that? You were created in God's image and God wants you to have dignity. So it's not about, that's why you notice that Apostle Paul did not mention the amount of money or wealth. So this lifestyle, this is what I was telling you, this lifestyle is applicable to both the rich Christians and to the Christians that don't have plenty of money. It does not matter. Work with your hands. Mind your business. Live content within your means. Don't spend more than you earn. Respect yourself. People will respect you. Look at where it now ends it. It now says, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So that you will not be dependent on anybody. God actually wants you to get to the point where you are not begging anybody or you have to steal. You can get to that point. And that point is not about the amount of money you have. If you are earning 50K, you can live dignified. And I'm not speaking because I'm in Lagos and I'm a doctor now. I'm saying it because I have seen it. There's a picture that came out on Twitter recently. People were talking about how a poor man can live in such a clean house. Do you remember that picture? You say, ah, see, poverty does not mean you have to be dirty and everything. Very nice picture. I saw a picture. I wanted to talk. I said, if I talk now, they will say, this guy, this uh, pro -po poverty pastor has come again. I want to say something. You see that picture? It's finer than the house that I grew up in. Ask my siblings. The guy who has plasma TV. <laughs> I remember when our parents finally were able to get some money to put together the house that we moved in from our rented house. It's you people in Lagos that materialism has destroyed people's lives. That you cannot understand something. I was just remembering yesterday. Do you remember when we moved to that house? That house did not even plaster the walls. We just built it, put roofing sheets, put asbestos, and then even the windows did not have curtains. It was literally wrapper, do you remember, that we used. And that thing happened for many years. It was wrapper we used to cover the windows. The day we moved into that house, we invited our pastor. Come and see praise and worship. Come and see how happy we are. We have our own house. You, materialistic relations, will have seen that. I will have felt like, what's wrong with this? Who are these poor people? <laughs> but that is the Christian life. You are living in your own rented apartment. God is helping you. You went to, you didn't go and rent an apartment that is more than your income. That's another part of this thing 
That is a problem. And living by faith in quotes. Go and do past yourself. God will do it. Say, I confess a bigger house. Your salary is 150K. You now want to go and rent house that is more than your salary. God will do it by next year. You see, that's another problem. The doctrine does not follow. Christian contentment means you live within your means. It's not a matter of God. That's not working by faith. Living outside your means is not working by faith. That is working in greed. You don't confess it. You don't say, Lord, I'm going to go and live above my means. You must follow me into it. God is not your mate. You live within your means. If God is going to... Simon sounds off. If more money will come, let the more money come, then that money you will now use to move to somewhere else. You don't want to claim an apartment that you cannot pay for by faith. The reason why you have that motivation is because something deep inside you is still seeing that bigger house to mean that you are better than where you are now. If you understand that where you are, I can be here. I will mind my business. I will work with my hands. I will not look at anybody. I don't send anybody. Then what you have will be enough for you at every point in time. That is the Christian culture. <laughs> 50 years, 100 years of capitalism and protracted comfort is that disturbed people and it has blown our fuse and we are not thinking straight again. The world was not always like this. Where everybody can afford a smartphone and everything. The world was not always like this. And I guarantee you, if this Russia Ukraine matter is anything to let you know, because they gave birth to you in the last half of the last century, all you have ever known is prosperity and peace. Relative prosperity and peace. Just 100 years ago, people were fighting and killed themselves to 250 million. You think human beings have changed in 100 years? You think the people that fought war in Hitler's time has changed. The world has made people better. This Russia Ukraine something is just a reminder that human beings are not the same. Humans, human beings are still the same. This mentality of thinking that the Christian life is by material things, it will not always be so. Listen to me. Great persecution is still coming in the future. Great times of turmoil is coming. There are some Christians that are even living it now in war-torn zones. There actually is their existence now. How do you want to relate this kind of teaching of prosperity to them? Is it not the same father that died for all of us? Is it not the same God? Not the same Christianity? Don't let living in Lagos disturb you and deceive you and lull you into a false sense of, 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 of this thing. Don't... This is what it will look like. Irrespective of the amount of money you have, as you work harder, you will earn more. And as you earn more, you will be able to buy more things. But at every point in time, work with your hands, mind your business, focus on your path. Look for a good Christian person that understands this. You guys should build something together. Build something together. Mind your business. When my wife and I got married and we moved into our house, thank God some of you here were there. And we didn't have sofa. It was literally the bench the painters were standing on to paint the house that was in our parlor. Am I lying? It was the TV and sound system I bought since my housemanship I put there. 
Our first bed during honeymoon was on the floor. Some of you were there. Mind your business. Build together. Then people come and visit us. I was happy. I was proud. This is my house. This is my mansion. There's no sofa, but it is my, it is my house. I go out and come back. I can meet it. It is my house. It might not have big things like it's in your own house, but it is what? My house. You, you mind your business. Over time, you buy a sofa. Over time. You understand? You grow. And guess what? Your psychological state will not change irrespective of where. Do you understand? That's how Christians are. So if you understand this, the Christian life is literally has literally conquered the world. You know, we'll say, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And say, because you have faith that overcomes the world, I say, and then what you're saying is that what it means to overcome the world is to have more money than the world. Oh my God, you don't understand the world. Let me tell you what it means to overcome the world. It means that there's nothing happening in the world that can move you. That is when you have overcome the world. When you overcome the world is when nothing happening in the world can get to you. You have overcome. That's why, that's why it is your faith. It is believing in God. No matter where the world is, it can never get to you. That's when you overcome the world. If you think that overcoming the world means that you cannot have more money than the world. Ay, ay, ay. Oh my God. You are playing with fire. First of all, you can never have more money than the world. Number two, if you don't understand the Christian outlook to the world, hmm, the more money that you are having, the more the world will be bending you in subjection to it. The more you'll be running, you'll be having depression, having anxiety, having all kinds of things. Should I get what I'm saying to you? What is your ambition? Do the will of God for your life. Mind your business. Work with your hands. Be content and live within your means and grow. Let people outside respect you. Some of you will become big, like in terms of money. Plenty money. Some, not so much money. It does not matter. It's when you were small, we'll be having fantasies of, I want to become rich. Like Dangote. Now, that need has completely died. Right now, I just want to do what God wants me to do. I'm okay. Any money that comes in. Do you understand? Beware of that mentality that says that being content means you don't believe in God. That's what it means. Beware of that, con- then that thing that will say, if you cannot dream of big money, you are not a man of faith. Faith means that you must dream of big things. No. Faith means believing in God. And that means believing for what God wants you to do. Do you understand that? <laughs> do you understand that? Paul say, come on, I'm believing God. I'll be like Philemon. I'll have money like Philemon. Which foolish faith is that? Some people among us will be Philemon. They'll have plenty of slaves, but there'll be elders in the church. Some will be like Tabitha, some will be like Chloe, big women that have money, and men, big men and women that have money in the church. And some of us will be Epaphroditus that will be working for somebody. Do you understand? Some of us will be Epaphras. 
Some of us will be Timothy. There is no, there will be no superiority. There will be no. I'm feeling more. Paul said, "Baba, collect him as a brother. Both of you are mates now in Christ." When brother Epaphroditus comes into church, we we'll honor him. And when brother Philemon comes in, we we'll honor him the same way. We will not say, brother Philemon, sit down in front. Brother Epaphroditus, you stand at the back. Do you understand that? Let's bow down our heads and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at this excellent church. God bless you.